This is an Age of Sigma podcast, which may contain explicit language. Hello everybody, welcome to a mini-sode, I guess, of Mortally Wounded. I haven't done one of these before, um, but I've just come back from the UK and attending the Eggs tournament over there at Element Games Northwest Gaming Centre, which I'm going to do a full show on, kind of running through all my games um, and the whole weekend in general um, later. But I thought as I was here, I would um, kind of do a run-through of the list I took, as um, did reasonably well, came third overall. Um, and it was a list that um, people hadn't really seen before. Um, I know it got a bit of a quick mention recently on um, one of the Bad Dice dailies um, and the Facehammer guys uh, when they did their pre-review of some of the lists episode recently kind of mentioned it and they said oh it's got a formation in it which um, they weren't sure what it did so I thought why not take the opportunity to uh, go through my list in detail and kind of explain some of the choices for the units um, and then go through the artifacts um, command traits and things like that and basically my reasoning that I took those um, and kind of what I went through in my head mentally to write the list so basically the the whole army is the Tempest Lord's Harbinger Chamber for Stormcast Eternals, which is a formation which can, uh, which consists of a Vanguard wing, and then any other Stormcast units or battalions. So the Vanguard wing um, for the Tempest Lords has to have four units of Prosecutors in it. Now all of my Prosecutor units have Javelins um, and Tridents because I think they're better. Um, than the hammer ver variants certainly for 80 points they're cheaper um, and the damage to on shooting is incredibly powerful especially when you make two attacks each with the tridents which have rend with the primes um, you have a potential output of eight damage per unit of three guys for 80 points it's very good when they actually are surprisingly durable with a four up save re-rolling ones um, I just think they're a fantastic unit. They're very fast um, and they make a great kind of addition to any Stormcast army in general. So I always have some of them. So very happy to take them in this formation. So I took the four units that are required for the Tempest Lord's Harbinger Chamber. You normally only need three in a Vanguard wing, but the uh, Tempest Lord's Harbinger Chamber requires specifically that you take four. So I had those. Uh, I also need a unit of Liberators and a unit of Judicators to fulfill the Vanguard wing. So I put those in both just units of five. So I needed another battle line unit. So I added another unit of Judicators for some more ranged threat because Judicators have, um, they're they're a bit spiky um, with the D6 shots that you get from the, um, or D6 hits if the shot bolt bow hits on the prime. But when he hits on twos, generally you're getting those D6. Um, and if you roll a five or a six, you can put out a surprising amount of damage. Um, and it's, it's quality damage at 24 inch range with rend um, and wounding on threes. So that was my battle line sorted. So I have two units of Judicators, a unit of Liberators, um, and then obviously the four units of Prosecutors. Now, what the Vanguard Wing formation does is in my movement phases, it lets any, it lets the unit of Liberators teleport from anywhere on the battlefield to any one of the four units of Prosecutors in the Vanguard Wing, and they have to be set up again. You remove the unit from the battlefield, and then they have to be set up again within five inches of any of the units of Prosecutors. So it takes your basic Liberator troops that suffer usually from um, a lack of movement and makes them highly mobile. 
which is brilliant. Um, it means you can pick them up from anywhere and put them effectively anywhere as long as you can get a unit of prosecutors in that vicinity. And when you've got four of them, um, which you can deploy um, to the sky and then drop down on a three up nine inches away from enemy, you can pretty much get them wherever you need them on the battlefield. Um, I always start with my liberators on uh, deployed on the table, meaning that as soon as I roll a three up for one of my units of prosecutors, I can bring them down anywhere on the table, nine inches away from my opponent, and then immediately teleport my liberators to five inches of them, effectively getting my liberators to a three-inch charge. The interesting thing with the formation is it actually is worded that you remove the unit from the table and then set them up again. So it's not actually a move. Although it happens in the movement phase, you set up the unit. So they can actually be set up in combat directly because when if you read the setup rules um, and the various FAQs you can set up a unit within three inches of an enemy unit. Now I personally don't like to do this because I think the formation is already quite powerful um, so I generally would always teleport to within three of my opponents so there's always that chance that I would roll a double one and fail the charge um, otherwise I think it's very powerful. If there's a situation where I feel like I really really need to do it to kind of keep myself in the game then potentially I would but generally I like to play that they can go with they go within five and I will place them three away from my opponent. Um, but still, it's almost a guaranteed charge as long as I don't roll that double one, which does happen, um, but it's it's really strong anyway. So even just with five liberators, the prime, I always give my prime the special weapon, so he has a grand hammer, so he's making three attacks um, that hit on fours, wound on threes, rend one, damage two. Now the other rule that the vanguard wing gives is that whilst the unit of liberators or judicators are within eight inches of any of the prosecutors from the vanguard wing, they are empowered, which means that any hit roll of a six or more, you make two wound rolls for. Now, liberators have a standard rule on their war scroll called Lalo the Tyrants, which means that when they're attacking any unit that has a wound count of five or more, so models with a wound characteristic of five or more, you get to add one to hit rolls. So then you're hitting on threes, wounding on threes. But that means that any fives or more actually are treated as sixes. And therefore, as long as they're within eight inches of any of your units of prosecutors, you make two wound rolls for. So now this means that potentially with your prime, you're hitting on threes. But if you roll three, five or sixes with those hits, you actually are making six wound rolls with that grand hammer. So you have a potential damage output of 12. So this is really strong um, and there's other kind of ways within Stormcast generally that you can buff that. Obviously if you had Lord Celestin on foot you can use their plus one to hit bubble. You could take damn terrain if you want. Um, generally I wouldn't do it but if there was a potential there I could take damn terrain for another plus one to hit. Meaning I would be hitting on twos and any fours would be doubling up. So you can actually get a surprising amount of combat output from just a unit of five liberators. Um, when you can deliver them where you need to via the prosecutors, it can actually be surprisingly effective. So that just sums up the normal Vanguard wing. Now what the Tempest Lord's Harbinger Chamber does is it means that any flying unit within that Harbinger Chamber, you can make a move in your charge phase that doesn't have to end within half an inch of an enemy. Now that is incredibly good tactically. It gives you so much flexibility on the table because it means you can drop in one place to shoot something 18 inches away potentially with all my four units of prosecutors and then I will have dropped within 18 inches of that unit because that's the maximum range of my weapon and therefore because prosecutors can declare a charge from 18 inch within 18 inches of an enemy and they charge 3d6 it means I'm always able to providing I don't 
drop down 18 inches away from something small which I completely kill with my shooting attacks. As long as there is a model within 18 inches of my unit I can then make a charge move in my charge phase but I don't have to move towards that unit or if I do I don't have to end within half an inch. Effectively I don't actually have to charge it. I just get to move the unit for free. So what that would allow me to do is drop down in a position to shoot a certain unit, but then no, I don't want to be in that position by the end of my turn. So as long as I can not completely destroy that unit, um, I just want to start doing some peppering damage. I can drop down, shoot a unit, landing in a place that I don't want to be at the end of my turn, but then use my additional charge move to move kind of approximately 10 inches is the average on three d6 charge so I can then move my unit 10 inches further away or off to a side to kind of pull my objective uh, to pull my uh, enemy units out of position so if they want to come and deal with me and if they don't want to come and deal with me the prosecutors have a 30 inch threat range because they move 12 and they shoot 18 so if they want to ignore me I'm still probably going to be in range next turn because I can fly up and shoot them again and keep repeating so basically that lets me have loads of flexibility with the prosecutors, um, especially when I can teleport the liberators to them as mentioned previously. So what other units did I take? Right, we'll go to the characters. So I included a prime in my army. Now you don't see the prime very much because he's very powerful potentially, but he is also a glass cannon with only eight wounds and a three up save. A three up save sounds good, but in Age of Sigmar, when anything can kill anything, eight wounds disappears surprisingly quickly. And for 360 points, he's very expensive on a points per wound basis. But the reason I think he's worth it in this formation is because of the charge mechanic. It means it's physically impossible for him to fail a charge the turn he comes down. Now, the reason for this is because the Prime has to drop down nine inches away, but he can change one dice of his um, to any result of your choice each turn. So that means even if I roll a double one for my charge, I've got a two. However, I can change one of those dice rolls to a six. Therefore, my charge move is seven. Now, taking the prime in any normal army, this would mean that I've now failed and he's a sitting duck for my opponent to take out the next turn. But with this formation, I can move those seven inches because I don't have to end a charge within half an inch of an enemy. So I can move those seven inches and I'm now only two inches away from my opponent. When it comes to my turn to activate, I can then make a pile-in move because with the rules for pile-in, it means that if you have made a charge move, which I have, or there are enemies within three, you can make a pile-in. So I'm two inches away and I have a three-inch pile-in. Great. I'm, I'm already in base contact with my opponent and the Prime also has a two-inch weapon reach. So that's fine. But the other great amount of flexibility that the formation lets me use is quite often if I wanted to charge something with, say, my unit of Liberators or my uh, one of my other units, but I also wanted to charge with my Prime, I don't normally like charging even numbers of units because it allows my opponent a chance to hit one of my units before I hit them. So it's effectively a wasted charge. So what it lets me do is I would charge with one of my units. Say I've teleported my unit of Liberators in and I want to activate that unit first when it's my turn. I will pick them first. Now with my charge move with my Prime, I will actually end him about three and a half inches away from the enemy unit that I wanted to charge. So when it's their turn to activate, they do not have a unit within three inches of my prime. Therefore, they cannot pile in and hit him. So they're free to pick either the unit that's just been struck by my liberators or another unit that may be in range, but they can't pile into my prime. 
So then when it's my next activation, because my primer's made a charge move, I can then use my three inch pile in to bring him into range and then attack the unit, effectively keeping him safe from damage until I want to bring him and use him. And this makes him very survivable, much more survivable than he would normally be. Um, it also means that because most of my units um, for Stormcast, anything that I deploy in the sky, I have to, in each of my movement phases, roll a dice. And on a three up, they have to come down. And I have to roll for each unit, place it on the battlefield, and then roll for the next unit. So I don't know what's going to come down um, when I'm rolling for them. Now, the prime is different. You deploy the, pri the prime in the sky so that he can't be attacked. Um, and then he comes down in any of my movement phases when I choose. I don't have to roll a dice for him. So that's really useful because it basically means if the game is going well for me at the start of the game and I don't feel like I need him, I can save him. Now for every full battle round that the prime stays in the sky, he gains two additional attacks on the turn he does come to, um, f when he does come down. So if I bring him down on turn two, he's coming in with four attacks because he starts in two. But if I bring him down on my turn three, he's coming down with six attacks. My turn four, he's coming down with eight attacks. And turn five, he would come down with 10 attacks. Now the prime hits on threes, he wounds on twos, he has rend three and damage three. So his attacks are incredibly efficient. High rend means that generally my opponent is not getting an armor save unless they have a three up save standard, in which case they're only getting a six up save. So generally any wounds he gets through will do three damage. So he can actually do a huge amount of damage, even if he only comes down with four attacks. It's quite often that he would get through his full damage output of 12, or if not 12, nine, which makes him really strong again. Um, so the flexibility it gives me though, is if the game isn't going too well, and my units, say some of the units that I deployed in the sky haven't come down and I, th I needed them. So I look like I'm on the back foot in the scenario. I can decide to bring my prime down earlier or if things are going well, I can just keep him in the sky and he's just going to get more and more powerful and increase my odds of winning late game. So in several of my games, my turns one and two didn't go so well. A number of units stayed in the sky when I needed them and my opponent was putting more pressure on me than I would have liked. So I had to bring my prime down in turn two, but because I knew he couldn't fail the charge, I could bring him down and I could hit a key unit. Um, and then if I was going to get the double turn, I had a couple of Heraldors in my list, so I would try and bring him down in range of them for my hero phase, as the Heraldor has an ability that in their hero phase you can select a Stormcast unit within 10 inches, and that unit can gain run and retreat, or retreat and charge. So it means that even if I go into something with my Prime that I do some damage to but don't kill, but have neutered its combat effectiveness, I don't want to be stuck in that combat and I need to hit another target. So by bringing him down in range of that buff from my Heraldor, I could select him to be able to retreat and charge and then go in next turn and hit something else. Which again, gives him the maximum potential to do his damage and put out his damage. The Prime also has a 24 inch range shooting attack um, using his Comet Strike Scepter. So you pick a point on the battlefield within 24 inches of him and roll a d6 and then every unit within that amount of inches gets struck by a comet and suffers d3 mortal wounds. So actually bringing the prime down quite early, say from turn two onwards, means you also help maximize the damage output that you get from his scepter. Um, so if you're playing an opponent that's relying on lots of characters or small units for buffs, for example, like Bloodbound, it means that he can come down early and actually from range start hitting them and doing mortal wounds to all of their characters in a confined space. So actually it was quite good bringing him down early. 
the final rule that the Prime has is that when you, on the turn you bring him down, all enemy units within 12 inches of him are at minus two bravery until your next hero phase. So that's another consideration, was do I bring him down at the bottom of uh, if of me having a, turn, a double turn, potentially, so that my opponent may potentially double turn me? Because if they do, all of their units that are within 12 inches of my prime are at minus two bravery. And even with only four attacks, he can still do quite a lot of damage to normal troops, and then it makes their battle shock tests even worse so that's the prime and the reason i took him is because you don't see him very often um and as i've said in the formation it was impossible to fail the charge and i got maximum utility for him so i really thought he was worth it for 360 points in that formation and my next character i have is a lord castellant and he took a mirror shield because i was very aware that there's a lot of strong shooting units in the game at the moment that can do mortal wounds um on things like sixes to hit or just generally things like caradron overlords which have a lot of shooting and their damage is very high but they only generally hit on a four so if you can force them to hit you on sixes then it really increases your survivability he has a lantern of um, he has a lantern which would mean that you add plus one to saves to a friendly stormcast unit within 12 inches in your hero phase and it also gives them the potential to heal um, on any rolls of a seven or more for their armor saves so it just really helps buff up a particular unit survivability. I then had two Knight Heraldors in my list, one of whom I made my general. Now, normally that's quite a strange choice because they don't have any sort of command ability. But the reason I took um, the Heraldor as my general and not my Lord Castellant, who is actually more survivable with an additional wound and an additional point of armor, is to spread my plus one save buffs. Because my general took the command trait Staunch Defender, which gives all Stormcast Eternal units within six inches of my general, including the general, plus one save provided that they haven't charged. So from my Lord Castellan and my Knight Heraldor between them, nearby uh, a nearby unit and all other nearby units are at plus two to save and plus one to save respectively. So if I had made my Lord Castellan my general, as soon as my opponent killed him, I lose both plus two to saves. But by making my Knight Heraldor my general with Staunch Defender, they would have to kill both characters to remove both my plus ones to save. The Knight Heraldor was also equipped with a mirror shield. Because of taking the Vanguard Wing and the Tempest Lord's Harbinger Chamber formation, I had three items in my list. So both my Lord Castellan and my Knight Heraldor, which are key pieces for buffing the armor save of my units, had mirror shields to help keep them protected from ranged threat. My final character was a Knight of Zeros, which I added in because he's only 80 points. Originally I had five units of prosecutors in the list um, and I did a couple of games of test playing and I found that I would get much more utility by dropping the spare unit of prosecutors that wasn't required for the formation and swapping him for an additional character. This helps me compete better in three places of power where characters are key um, but it's also because the fact that the Knight of Xeros can take an upgraded lantern. So with the extra item that I had, I gave my Knight of Xeros a lantern of the Tempest. Now what this does is it creates a six inch bubble where my opponent, any shooting against him or units or my units within six of him, any hit rolls of a six or more in the shooting phase, my opponent has to re-roll. So it really, again, helps keep my characters alive. So if anyone's trying to shoot out my Knight Herald or General or my Lord Castellan that have already minus two to hit, so they're only hitting on sixes, then they're also having to re-roll any of those sixes. Um, they're also having to do that against any of the shooting of any of my other units within six. So I had... Um, kind of a deployment that I would do which I'll describe in a minute which meant that I had multiple buffs stacking on multiple units 
to kind of keep them alive from especially against shooting um, but generally just to help keep them alive so that's my characters so the additional unit i took that i haven't explained is a unit of two fulminators i had 240 points left and that's what they cost now the fulminators were there not really for their damage output they were more there actually to be a shield so a normal deployment I would do, especially against a heavy shooting army, for example, Caradron Overlords, is I would deploy my two Fulminators kind of sideways in a line, almost creating a wall. I would then deploy a unit of Liberators wrapped around one side and then a unit of Judicators wrapped around the other side to create effectively a big circle with Fulminators at the front and then the rest of the circle completed by the Liberators and the Judicators. I would then put my Knight Herald or General behind the Fulminators and my Lord Castellant next to him and then my Knight Azeros behind them and sometimes a unit of Prosecutors wrapped behind them ready to take the place of the Liberators should I wish to teleport them away. And that meant that any army with a combat threat cannot get into my characters because they are protected by the Liberators, the Judicators and most importantly, the Dracoths at the front. Now, the Dracoths standardly have a 3-up armor save, re-rolling 1s. So I would shine the Lord Castellan's Lantern on them to increase their save to a 2-up, re-rolling 1s. My Knight Heraldor with Staunch Defender is also standing behind them. So, provided my Dracoths don't charge, they're getting another plus 1 to save. So they now have a 1-up save, re-rolling 1s. Fulminators also get plus one to save against shooting. So against any shooting, they had a zero up save re-rolling ones. And my opponent has to re-roll any sixes because of my knight Azeros, who is always who is also there. So against Caradron Overlords, this was very, very important because it effectively meant that they, no matter how much shooting they applied to my Fulminators, it was very unlikely that they were going to kill them. Now, I was expecting to come up against Caradron Overlords and it's something that I considered when I wrote my list I needed to be able to deal with them and this kind of bubble wrapped um, very defensive core with the Dracoths at the front is the way I came up to defeat them. Now I knew they would have Endrin Riggers with Saws because again they're a very strong unit for Caradron Overlords in combat with minus two rend. With my two buffs even with that minus two rend my Dracoths still have a three up savory rolling ones so they can still shrug off quite a few of those attacks. Not all of them, but they have 10 wounds between them. And if just one of them survives and it's my turn, they're shooting attacks. They make D3 shooting attacks each that hit on fours. They have a six inch range. Any hits do one mortal wound if my opponent is more than three inches away. But if they're in combat with me, which the engine riggers, for example, would be, then each hit does two mortal wounds, which is a dead engine rigger. So basically, if someone came into me and I, I did really well on my armor saves, or they fluff some of their attacks, if it's then my turn and both my Dracoths are alive and I roll just average on my two D3s, I should do four mortal wounds, which just kills two Endrin Riggers dead. That's just for my shooting, let alone the combat with the Riders and the Dracoths. But even then, they aren't there for their damage output. The Prime and my shooting units were there to then be able to retaliate and take out the Caradron Overlords, as generally they don't have very good armor saves and they don't like battle shock. So my Prime can be in the sky, safe from them. They need to come down because I have multiple units which could be on the board claiming objectives. And then they would come in to try and kill my Dracoths because if they don't deal with them, the Dracoths can charge into them and quite easily kill half a Caradron Overlords army themselves. So they need to come down. All the mirror shields and the buffs against shooting of my characters help to keep them alive behind so that they can't generally shoot them out so they have to try and come into combat 
with me but the fulminators are tough enough to survive that initial impact meaning that i can then bring my prime down the next turn and then take their units off in my fifth game i did actually come up against caradron overlords i used this formation and it worked that's exactly what it did yes they managed to shoot my characters they cleverly targeted the azeros first as he is the easiest to kill because he doesn't have a mirror shield um, to get rid of that kind of re-roll six um, to hit negative to them so they took him out first but then they still had to commit an awful amount of firepower to just kill my um, Heraldor because of his minus two which meant that they didn't really do any wounds to my Dracoths with in the shooting phase so that they couldn't kill them off in the combat phase and effectively got stuck on them meaning that my prime could come down next time and kill all of them so that was the list um, and basically the main reason I kind of took those took those units as I've described before is for their various amounts of utility I needed the units of prosecutors to fulfill the formation um, they have great damage potential they're brilliant units for 80 points each MSU style letting me kind of be in multiple places at once to bring liberators where I need them should I need more bodies um, two units of judicators can have reasonably decent firepower it would also let me put one of the units usually um, deployed off the table in the sky so that I could bring it down in an advantageous position later on whether to get closer to help snipe off a character or to be on an objective on the far side of the board where they can still threaten somewhere else thanks to their great 24 inch range the two knight heraldors also were amazing for dishing um, dishing out AOE area of effect mortal wound damage by blowing up terrain with their other special rule which is performed in the shooting phase you pick a terrain feature within 15 inches of them and you roll a d6 all units within that terrain and within that d6 inches range of that terrain feature suffer d3 mortal wounds so again if i'm facing an opponent who's clumped up and multiple units of buffing th features they're near terrain then these two heraldors would let me do a lot of damage it, they were put in the list to deal with things like sylvaneth because sylvaneth are actually one of the tougher armies for um my army to face because the prosecutors and the liberators bounce because sylvaneth have very high armor saves and generally the prosecutors and liberators they only have rend one and it's just not enough to get through those those armor saves now again that's where the prime helps i can save him and then i can drop down and take off any of those tree lord ancients or spirits of dirthu things like that but the heraldos are there from turn one to let me start kind of blowing up those wild woods which is the key to how sylvaneth work because they want to be within those woods so it let me have two things to just do d3 mortal wounds to any units that they kept in or near their woods and it it, it was put in specifically because of the prevalence of sylvaneth because they're a very popular army and it was the way i found in the list to deal with them so that basically runs through the list um, there were many many iterations of that list that i wrote kind of in practice before the event um, some of them had many more units of prosecutors for example seven units because the 240 points of fulminators exactly equates to having three more units of prosecutors at 80 points each as i say i played around with the characters um, originally the lord castellan was my general but it meant that once he was gone i lost both plus twos to my armor saves for the dracoths so spreading it um, spreading the buff again helped keep the Dracoths or other units buffed longer um, the prime was generally always in there there was an iteration of the list that didn't have the fulminators and it didn't have the prime and instead it had a star drake because the two units between them are 600 points which is exactly the cost of a lord celestine on star drake which i do think he would have been strong however the reason i didn't take him is even with a mirror shield um, and staunch defender 
he can be taken down. Um, he would be a key threat for any kind of army with mortal wounds. And once he's gone, it was essentially too many eggs in one basket. Um, he's not reliable to put in the sky because he and then come down. I wouldn't want to do that because I'd be risking him never coming down if I didn't roll those three ups. Um, and I generally found that I would get a lot more utility and actually combat damage um, output from the prime instead of the star drake. Um, and also range threat again from that prime scepter. So yeah, that's that's the reason that I took the units I did um, and. A, rough run through of kind of how the army works um, and the reasons I took those units and I have to say the Prime was my absolute MVP um, I think it's a shame you don't see more of him um, I'm hoping though that that means he might become cheaper um, within General's Handbook 2017 if he does I think it'll be fantastic and you will see more Tempest Lords formation um, armies out there with him in because he is just fantastic in that in, in that formation because he can't fail the charge and you just get so much utility for him um, most of my games I was bringing him down turn two which would normally be considered early but with those four attacks and that dice change and the formation meaning that you only actually need to roll kind of a four for your charge meaning you don't have to burn his once per turn dice change on the charge to get in so you can save it for one one of those all-important combat attacks when you don't roll a three up to hit you can just go i'm going to make this hit so you get that extra one through and then you get your wounds through um that sort of thing or if you needed to hit a really wide six inch arc to hit loads and loads of um models you could use his dice change to make that a six and make sure you get all of them um or you could use it for the damage roll to if you know you need to do a three on a d3 on a character he just has so much utility um and he was absolutely fantastic and he definitely made me win each of the games i did um and the game i didn't win he still came when he did come down on turn three he was an absolute star and almost tabled my opponent on his own so yeah i hope you've enjoyed listening to that um i don't normally do minisodes but i thought you know what as it was a different list um and i'd had some good success with it um and it was really fun to play and it was something a bit different i thought i'd um, just run through the list so yeah i hope you enjoyed listening to that and stay tuned i will do a full kind of review and episode on the actual eggs tournament um at a later date but yeah thanks for listening guys bye because judgment day is not